Let me uh, ask you a question that was recently uh, asked on a poll. What would you do for $5 million? All right, so that's fairly life-changing money. I think we can agree on that, uh, that that would uh, dramatically uh, impact your life. What would you do for $5 million? 54% of people polled uh, would listen to country music for the rest of their lives. Uh, for $5 million. Some of you would do that for free. We're praying for you. um, 42% of people polled said that they would have all of their teeth removed for $5 million. 50%, so just think about in a room with this many people in it, 50% said for $5 million, they would allow one random person to die for $5 million, all right? Um, 24% of people said, 24, so it's less than the random person dying statistic, which is weird to me, but 24% of people said that they would live in complete solitude for 20 years, that they'd, they'd never see another person. Again, some of you would do that for free, um, but that, that you're called introverts. Uh, that, uh, so I'd be fine to not see somebody for 20 years. You're going to give me $5 million for that? Sold, right? Um, and uh, so, so that's, our, we have this desire, uh, we have this desire for more. And uh, that, that's kind of what this series is about. And I've told you uh, before when we've kind of talked about this subject that it's interesting. Uh, through the generations, whenever they do a poll like this, one of the things that is asked is, what do you think it would take for you to be financially satisfied? So for you to have all the money that you need and for you to be happy and content, able to pay your bills. And across the board and across the generations, the answer to that question is almost always 20% more than I have. Almost always. And it's because we have this insatiable, and it is insatiable, desire for more. And listen, a desire for more rarely leads to more joy. A desire for more financially rarely leads to more joy more peace, or more contentment. Now, some of you would like to try that statement out. Like, well, give me more and let's see, right? But, you know, it rarely leads to more joy, peace, or contentment, and it rarely leads to more or better character. I want to show you something from psychology today uh, up on the screen for you. It says, about 10 years ago, I taught a short course on positive psychology to some adult students. One of my students was a lady from Ethiopia who had been living in the UK for three years after marrying an Englishman. In one of the sessions, we looked at levels of reported happiness in different countries and pondered over why there wasn't a straightforward relationship between wealth and well-being, so that the wealthiest countries weren't necessarily the happiest and vice versa. I can understand it, she said. When I first came to England, I was shocked at how dissatisfied people are. They seem to want all the time. They don't seem to be satisfied in what they have. In my country, people have very little, but they don't want, so they're not dissatisfied. They're content with what they have. That was Psychology Today 2015. And this is essentially the science behind why the countries that have the most are not the most happy. Desire starts to, uh, can, can, uh, starts to well up on us this sense of contempt for what we have and a discontent for what we have. Has anybody ever watched HGTV? 
right? And you're watching it and they like are renovating this 5,000 square foot home, all the bells and whistles, just absolutely beautiful. And, and at some point in the story, at some point in the episode, it happens every single time. Like, what do you do for a living? It's like, I'm a dog walker and my budget's 3 million. I'm like, what? What, what is going on here? Did you get an inheritance or what, or what is this? But you, you watch those shows and I, I, this has happened to me a hundred times where you're watching it and like an hour before you were completely satisfied with your home. And then an hour into the episode, you're like, we li- this place is garbage, right? How can I be expected to live this way, right? And, and an hour before it was just absolutely fine. When you get the Christmas catalogs, Right, this happened with my son this year. He's, he's eight. You get the Christmas catalogs. I start looking through the catalog. He has circled everything. Right? He circled every single... It's like, what are you doing, bud? And, and he just... Th- this culture breeds in us this desire for more. When you go to social media and you see everybody's picture of their best life, it can leave you with a heart full of desires. I say, man, what I have is not enough. Uh, so you see these Western civilized countries that the fuel of the economy is this, you need more. You need more, you need better, you need nicer, you need more, and it leaves us wanting more. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, This is the first year we've actually experienced this in our household, so I know parents have been wrestling with this for ages, but we have an eight-year-old, and so this is the first time we've uh, really wrestled with this, but there is a video game system that my son wants like super bad. Uh, for Christmas. And uh, this started like in October where he's borderline like begging us for it at this point. And we're like, well, you're not going to know till Christmas morning. He's like, you know, I hate surprises. I, I don't know what to tell you, dude, you're not going to know till Christmas morning. And th- he wants this video game system really bad. And so my wife trying to stay off this, uh, always asking for more. She was at Target the other day and she bought him a sticker book of one of, the, uh, of one of the video game stories that he likes, Mario. Bought him a sticker book and Sam came home and he's been like building on paper with these stickers, these, the, uh, like a video game system, just in his imagination. And I was telling Cheryl the other day, I said, if we don't buy him this video game system for Christmas, he's gonna be in therapy someday or, or talking to his friends and he's gonna say, all, when I was eight, all I asked for was a video game system and my mom bought me some stickers and told me to make my own video games, <laughs> right? And everyone's gonna be like, I can't believe how you grew up. You were borderline abused, right? right? And, and, and that's not, we all, we are laughing because we all know that's not true. He, he's, he has all he needs and more but our culture breeds in us this desire for more. So all of a sudden, why aren't stickers enough? I could save myself $300 this Christmas. Why aren't stickers enough? They should, this is, we're getting into therapy now. I'm gonna move on, but um, this is the exact thing that Paul, Paul writes in the Bible, uh, in the book of 1 Timothy, he writes to this young pastor named Timothy, and Timothy was serving as a pastor in a culture of affluence, and in a culture very much like ours where everybody wanted more, the stickers on the paper were not enough. They wanted the video game system, right? And uh, he was dealing with this affluent culture. And so he teaches Timothy in, in 1 Timothy 6 what Timothy should be teaching people about this subject. And so I'm gonna share with you exactly kind of what he says and we're gonna work through a few ideas together. And uh, this is not gonna be very painful at all, I promise. This is... Uh, this is, uh, won't, be, won't be too difficult. All right, so 1 Timothy 6. 
These are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ in a godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. I love Paul so much, right? You understand nothing, right? They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. So right off the bat here, Paul is addressing some false teachers that had come into his community and their desire for money and their desire for power was impacting their teaching. And there are two main strategies that these false teachers were engaging in in an effort to make money. The first was controversy and quarrel. Even back in the first century, there was a lot of money and controversy. We live in a day of constant quarreling and constant bickering and constant controversy. It is mainly political. It is also spiritual and societal. Um, when you read the blog, right, you, you read the blog that just lights you up and angers you. You see the social media post that just sets you on fire. You read the book that stokes this flame. You listen to the podcast that makes you angry. I want to ask you a question, and I think it's impossible for you and I to know the answer to this, but here's the question I want to challenge you with. When you read those things, when you watch the show, when you listen to the broadcast, when you do all of that stuff, here's what I want you to ask. Are they a zealot that believes in the cause, or are they a salesman trying to make a dime? There is big money in quarreling. There is big money in controversy. And so as you're engaging in our culture and you're like, you, you see the stuff that just lights you up and makes you angry, whether it's political or socially or, or spiritually, whatever it is, and you find yourself angry, are they really a zealot that believes in their cause? Or are they a salesman trying to earn a dollar? Now you can't know their heart, you can't. But here's what you can know. Here's what you can know. You can know what they're selling. Are they selling discord? Are they selling anger? Are they selling animosity? Are they truly selling any of God's products at all? Because discord, anger, and jealousy are not God's products. So as you listen, really think through this. As you listen, it's like, man, are they selling what God is selling? And do I want to be a, a, a part of that? Make mistake, no mistake about it. We have been so separated into different groups in this country, into different causes, and I wanna, I wanna say this in love, and some of you are afraid I'm going political, I'm not, but I just want to hear what I'm saying. There are a lot of people making a ton of money off your anger. There are a ton of people making a ton of money off your anger. A lot of books are being sold as a result of your anger and mine. A lot of podcasts being downloaded, a lot of speeches being given, a lot of money. And I want you to consider, just like I am considering, you're, I'm considering this, you're welcome to join me. Here's what I'm considering. How much of that do I want to continue to participate in? Do I really want you to be able to get rich off my anger that you stoked to begin with? <laughs> right? Do I want to help you get rich off controversy and quarreling and division in an effort to make money. So this is, you can see how relevant the Bible is, right? I mean, this was written in the first century and look at where we are. We have come so far that our culture doesn't struggle with this at all, 
right? People making money over quarreling and discord, it's the same, the Bible is so relevant. And then the second thing is this. Uh, the second thing they use is godliness. Godliness as a means to financial gain. And the truth again is that in our culture, there is a lot of money in godliness. Right, the Christian book industry, the music industry, even the preaching industry. And the problem is, it is impossible for us to know the heart of the artist. So as you're going to the concert and as you're reading the book and, and you begin to think, man, there is a lot of money in this industry. Is this good or is this not? I wanna share with you something the Apostle Paul said to the church in Philippi. He says, uh, put it on the screen for you. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, that Christ has preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. So the only thing you and I can do is evaluate the message. If the message is good, if the message is right, if the message is holy, if the message is leading you to Jesus, honestly, Paul's point is, in that case, the heart of the messenger is a little bit irrelevant. If they're pointing you to Jesus and you're growing in your relationship with Jesus, the heart of the message, as far as you're concerned, is irrelevant. Now their heart with God, that's a different matter. That's between them and the Lord. But if they're preaching a good, honest, godly, uh, integrity-filled message, the heart of the messenger is irrelevant. And that's what makes the earlier example even more relevant, is a messenger that is intentionally making you angry. A messenger that is intentionally leading you to rage. A messenger that is intentionally leading you to discord. That does not sound like a godly message to me. And it doesn't sound like something that is leading me to righteousness. So here's Paul's overarching point. What sometimes ends up happening when our desire for financials gets out of control, what sometimes ends up happening is that financial gain becomes more important than godliness. This is Paul's point to, the, to Timothy. He says, just be aware of this, is that when some people, they get so focused on financial gain and making money and earning a living and all that stuff, that godliness takes a back seat to financial gain, or even worse yet, they use godliness as a means to financial gain. And he gives us these examples of these false teachers, and you'll notice the pronouns he uses in this part of the text, they and, and their. Their hearts aren't in the right place. They're leading you to anger. They're profiting from their vision. Their desire for money is leading them to reject godliness and goodness. And then in verse six, the tone changes, big time. In verse six, the tone becomes, moves from they and them to we and us. And Paul starts to challenge us with this idea. All right, we know what they are doing. They're making big money off our anger. They're making big money off godliness. They're, they're, they're doing this. This is what they are doing. And then Paul begins to challenge us, and he begins to go from preaching to meddling. And he begins to ask, what about we and us? Are we sacrificing godliness and holiness on the altar of more? Am I doing that? Are you? I want to talk for a minute when... Godliness is kind of a, a churchy, kind of spirit, over-spiritualized word in, in a lot of ways. So I want to talk about what I mean and what I think Paul means when he talks about godliness. So for the, for the sake of financial gain, am I sacrificing godliness? This is the argument Paul's trying to work through here. And here's what I mean when I talk about godliness and what I think Paul means when he talks about it. It's very, very simple on the screen for you, being like Jesus. That when it comes to my work life, and the way that I earn my living, 
I try my hardest to be like Jesus. When it comes to my generosity and my giving, I try to be like Jesus. When it comes to my uh, work home life balance, I try to be like Jesus. When it comes to my internal character that I show on the job, that my internal character in the way that I treat other people, that I try to be like Jesus. And godliness should always trump financial gain. Financial gain doesn't trump godliness. Godliness trumps financial gain. So no matter what happens financially, no matter what happens financially, I'm gonna be like Jesus in this company. No matter what happens, I'm gonna exhibit good character. No matter what happens, I'm gonna try to act and look and be like Jesus. And here's Paul's point. Being like Jesus is great gain. Being like Jesus, man, if I do that, if, I, if I'm like Jesus in the, the way I operate in this company, if I'm like Jesus in the way I operate financially, that, that's gonna, my great gains are gonna suffer. And, and Paul's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Godliness, being like Jesus, is great gain. So he makes a series of arguments for why financial gain should never usurp godliness, why godliness always trumps financial gain. Here's argument number one, there's two of them. But godliness with contentment is great gain, all right? And you gotta kinda picture your grandma or your grandpa saying this now, because mine said this often. We take nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it, right? You hear your grandma saying that? I do, but I like how Paul talks about this, because when you talk about gains, when we talk about gains, we, we all, and I do this too, we tend to think about financial, the financial gains and goals that we have, that I wanna make this amount of money by the time I'm 30 that I wanna retire by the time I'm 65. I, I wanna have this much saved for my child's education. And we tend to think about the great gains financially that we wanna make. And, and Paul reminds us that godliness and contentment are great gain. With the help of the Holy Spirit, if you can develop a heart like Jesus, a heart of compassion, a heart of integrity, a heart of service, a heart of humility, if we can be that person at the end of our life, if we can grow into that person, a person of Jesus' integrity, Paul says, that's great gain. I don't know what your retirement account did, that's great gain. I don't know what your kid's college fund did, that's, but, but I'm telling you, if you have integrity, if you have the character of Jesus, it is great gain. Why? We brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. There's an old preacher story about a guy that found out uh, that he was going to uh, pass away. He was, he was found to be terminal, term, terminal and he had kind of wasted his life in selfishness. And so he said to his wife, I'm going to try to uh, challenge this idea that you brought nothing into the world, uh, you can take nothing out. So here's what I want you to do. About the time I'm going to pass away, I want you to fill up two uh, uh, pillow bags full of money and just leave them upstairs kind of above where my bed is. And when I go up to meet the Lord, I'll grab the bags on my way up, you know, and just take them up there. I'm going to challenge this idea. So the time came that he passed away and she was kind of cleaning around upstairs and, and she finds these two bags full of money because she had honored his wishes and found these two bags of money upstairs. And she says, oh man, I knew we should have left him in the basement. Um, right? Uh, just wait for it, right? Yeah, so. Um, that we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. And this is true on two levels. That there will be, and I don't want to go 
dark here, but because I think our culture is terrified of this day, but there will be a day when God calls you home. And we don't like to talk about this in American culture, but it's true. And on that day that God calls you home, on that day that God calls me home, your kids and your grandkids are not gonna talk about your financial gains, most likely. They're not gonna talk about your retirement account. They're not gonna talk about your business dealings. They're not gonna talk about your financial wealth. On that day, you know what your kids and your grandkids are gonna talk about? Listen to me, this is so important. They're gonna talk about your character. They're gonna talk about your character. Um, And they'll be talking about their relationship with you. And your funeral will become a celebration of life. If you get this one thing today, if you don't hear anything else that I say today, please get this. Godliness, in the eyes of your kids and grandkids especially, godliness is great gain. Godliness is great gain. You will go home today and you will see a bazillion commercials about retirement funds. You will not see a single commercial about becoming a person of character that your kids and your grandkids look up to, that your kids and your grandkids respect, that your kids and your grandkids can look at you and say, man, grandpa or grandma was like Jesus. Yeah, they didn't save very much. They weren't very financially responsible maybe, but in that moment, on the day that the Lord calls you home, godliness is great gain. Trust me, I've been doing this a long time. And when I meet with the families on that day, I am telling you, they are talking about your character because that's the thing that matters most. The other thing why this is relevant is on that day that he calls you home. You and I on that day will be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But the Bible says, God says that Jesus will test the quality of every man's work for the purpose of rewards, right? Say, what are the rewards? We have no idea what they are, to be honest with you. But on that day that Jesus tests the quality of your life, He tests the quality of your character. He tests the quality of how you lived. On that day, the Bible says godliness will be great gain. Godliness will be great gain. He will reward us for our good character in some way and somehow. Now, you are not saved by your character. You're saved by the grace of Jesus. But he will test the quality of of your life to, to, to reward you. And so Paul is trying to get us to have a different perspective the desire, worldly desire, the desires of all needing more stuff, more money, more everything, that whole thing, it screams to us right now. It, it screams right now that I need more money right now or I need the video game console. My eight-year-old could preach this part of the message. Right? I need it right now. I can't wait till December 25th. I need it right now. You know? um, and, and it all screams right now, but I am telling you, you know what godliness whispers? Someday. Someday. And we need to think about someday. I know it's hard and I know it's uncomfortable. No, you're going, I showed up for church for this, right? I didn't show up to, I don't want to be depressed, right? I hope it's not depressing. But the idea that sometime, and I hope it's way, way into the future. (laughs) I do, I hope it's way into the future, right? Uh, I want to go see the Lord. I wasn't planning to do that this afternoon, but... um, you know, I want, I want to be there for my kids, but someday, Lila and Sam are going to be looking over me. And on that day, I hope they're talking about my character. 
that dad was like Jesus in the way that he loved us, in the way that he cared for us, in the way that he fathered us. Dad was like Jesus. And I hope that happens for me and I hope that happens for you. But it only happens when we understand this principle that the one thing that I gave you that I wanted to be sure that you remembered, godliness is great gain. Godliness is great gain. And it screams to us someday. Someday your kids are going to be looking at you. Some, someday you're going, to, you're going to meet the Lord and he's going to test the quality. Someday. And it's, someday it's hard to compete with right now. It just is. But we, we need to slow down every once in a while and we need to consider someday and not just right now. Paul's trying to get us to have another perspective. Here's argument number two, the second one. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You thought I was a downer, right? Um, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many Griefs, And this is one of those verses that I think is often misquoted. And the, the misquote is this, money is the root of all kinds of evil. And that's not true. I've known many, many people who happen to have money over the years that are the kindest, godliest, most servant-oriented people that you could ever meet. The actual quote from the scripture that I just read is, remember what the difference is? The love of money. Right? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Specifically in this text, what is the root of all kinds of evil? Is when the love of money trumps the love of godliness. When we stop worrying about character and being like Jesus, and we worry most about getting stuff. A few months ago, I was doing some laundry downstairs. Don't allow that to shock you, it does happen. All right? um, you, know, you were doing laundry downstairs? I was. All right, I was doing some laundry. And I was folding some clothes, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw something flying around my basement. All right? I am not proud of how I acted in that moment. <laughs> and I, and, and I, I am uh, more than willing to trade in my man card here. Indiana Jones was the, one of the manliest men that ever lived. He was scared of snakes. I hate bats. I do. Come and get me PETA, whatever. I hate bats. I do. Um, and it turned out to be a bat. Uh, and what had happened was we had gotten home and uh, Sam was really excited to do something. He ran into the house. Cheryl and I went to the front of the house. He left the back door open and then our basement door, which is right there, was open as well. And that bat was looking for some dinner. And he was flying after something. He flew into our house. He flew into our basement and got trapped in my basement. Now, I know, let me just finish the story because finishing the story has nothing to do with the rest of the sermon, but that bat disappeared. And uh, we, brought, we brought a guy out. I paid him to search for two hours. He searched. I searched for multiple hours. And uh, the guy said, well, he may have come to his demise down there or he you know, uh, may have gotten out another way or whatever. And I am telling you, this, this was like six, seven, eight weeks ago. Every time I open our basement door, I fully expect the bat to be standing there with a gun. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, how dare you? you know, and th then that's, that, that's the day I was talking about earlier, you know, where my kids are talking about my character. So um, he, meaning the bat, got trapped by his desire. He was after something. He wanted to eat something, and he got trapped by his desire in my basement. And this is the trap of the desire of money and stuff over everything else. We chase it, thinking it will bring us joy, hope, 
and peace, and it brings ruin and destruction. I have seen this issue have profound effects on marriages, where in a lot of marriages, one's like a spender and one's a saver. That's just God's uh, divine uh, comedy on us, right? He's uh, like, oh, you wanna have fun? Yeah, marry this person, and you know, one's a saver and, and one's a spender, and I, I've actually seen this have a profound destructive effect on relationships. I've seen it um, increase a person's debt load to the point of being um, almost crippling. I, I've seen it affect a person's relationship with others when they choose stuff over them. And, and here's what Paul's point is, it's a trap. It's a trap. It's like that bat in my basement. We're chasing something, thinking it's gonna bring us life, and it results in our destruction. And so, like I said, not to beat a, deadly horse, but a, a dead horse, but godliness, being like Jesus is so much better. He brings life to our relationships, joy as we serve, and contentment as we pursue him. So let me say it this way. This will kind of be the sermon in a sentence. Life is found in the development of our character, not the accumulation of stuff. Life is found in the development of our character, not in the accumulation of stuff. So Paul gives us two pieces of advice as we close. He says, but you, man of God, flee from all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life for which you have been called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses in the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our uh, Lord Jesus Christ which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is mortal and who gives life uh, and, and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one can, ha, uh, has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. So understand that this is going to be a fight, but it is a fight worth fighting. We are living in a culture, as have all people before us, we are living in a culture does, that does not put a premium on internal character. Our culture and our economy thrives on the desire for more. And so Paul's point is, man, if you want to be a person that is thinking about someday, not just today, if you want to be a person that's thinking about someday, uh, you know, when the Lord calls me home, someday when my kids are thinking about me, the legacy that I'm leaving, if you want to think about someday, he says, this is going to require us to, to uh, wage a war because temptation abounds. It, it just does. And, and so the hard part of this is I don't know what this part looks like for you. I don't know what it looks like for you to wage war because every single person is different. So I want to ask you that question. As you're thinking about being a person that thinks about someday and being a person that thinks about their internal character and a person that thinks about being like Jesus, not just what they want right now. As you think about that, what does waging war look like for you? Maybe for you it's restricting your media a little bit. Right, and say, man, I, I'm watching and getting riled up and desire for more uh, as, as a result of all this media. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on too much media. Maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe it's reading more books and watching less. Maybe it's joining a small group so you can talk through your struggles. Maybe for you, it's spending more time in the scriptures. Maybe it's reading Matthew 5 through 7. Uh, Matthew 5 through 7 is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he talks for a whole sermon about like internal character and, and being more like him. 
And you could read Matthew 5 through 7 and see Jesus' heart for your character. And maybe for you, it's just listening to the Holy Spirit a little bit more. I was listening to an audio book uh, a while uh, back, um, and it was a book about called Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell about why we're so bad about talking to each other and why we're so bad about understanding each other. And I was listening to this book, and he was working through like multiple kind of misunderstandings about how we're just not listening to each other in this culture, and we're not uh, understanding each other in this culture. And he works through a whole bunch of examples, and I'm listening to this book going, you know what? I started thinking about our culture is bad about empathy, right? Empathy is a thing that happens when I say, um, man, I've heard your story, and in grace, I understand why you have the perspective that you have given what you've been through. That's empathy. It's, man, I've heard your story, I've listened to you, and I have empathy for why you see the world the way that you do. And our culture is really bad at that, and I'm, I'm listening to this book going, man, we're really bad about this. And all of a sudden, I was walking around one day listening, and all of a sudden, I felt the Holy Spirit, I really did, felt the Holy Spirit whisper this, Steve, you're bad at it too. And I began to think through that I need to work on listening and understanding and empathy. That's not just they and them. That's, man, man, this world is really bad at empathy. No, Steve, you're bad at empathy. And so I, I believe that the Holy Spirit does this all the time where the Holy Spirit is whispering, work on empathy, work on grace, work on serving, and we just need to slow down and listen. We just need to slow down and listen. So those are just a few kind of ideas about reading the scriptures more. Uh, there's tons and tons of like podcasts and stuff you can listen to about spirituality and just hearing messages about character and the development of our character and just refusing to give up on the fight. One thing that will just drive me bonkers pastorally, I'll hear it multiple times a year, is I'll, I'll be listening to someone and they'll say, this is just how I am, take me or leave me. No. No, you don't give up on the fight. Your internal character matters to God. It should matter to you as well. So never should we have, this is just who I am. Take me as I am. It's like, well, you need a little work, no offense, right? I need a little work, no offense to me. And I never want to be a person that's just like, well, this is, I just lack empathy. Take me as I am. No, I want to work on my empathy. I want to work on my listening, I, I want to work on my compassion. And so that's what I want to encourage you with. Is this, I hope I've made a good argument. This is so important. That life best lived is in the development of character, not the accumulation of stuff. So if you want to have a godly desire, desire character. Desire being like Jesus. But it is a fight. It is a start. And don't give up on it. When you have a bad day, guess what? The sun's coming up the next day, I heard too. I think that happens every day. It comes up each day and you get a fresh start and a new day to develop your character. So don't be destroyed and devastated when you screw up. Me too, I screw up as well. We all screw up. Just stand resolved that I'm not gonna give up the fight. I'm not gonna give up the fight. I'm not thrown in the towel. I'm gonna get up the next day and I'm gonna start all over again. So that's advice number one, is recognize this is a fight. We need fighters when it comes to internal character. Advice number two is, uh, be generous and willing to share. I preached on this earlier this year, so I won't talk a ton of time on this, but command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their help, hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 
Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. There you see this again, someday, right? Not just today, someday, so that they may take hold of, they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I love what this says. God provides everything for our enjoyment. Let me say it to you this way. God is not anti-stuff and he is not anti-joy. The gifts that God gives us uh, are to be enjoyed. They are not to be God. And there's a big difference between those two things. They are to be enjoyed. So children are to be enjoyed. Most days, I think we all enjoy our kids. It's a safe space, not every day. We get that, all right? Most days we do. They're to be enjoyed. They are not to be your source of joy, hope, peace, and grace. Your financials, they are to be enjoyed. God's way, they are to be enjoyed. They are not to be your source of joy, hope, peace, and security. They are from your hope. They are not for your hope. They are from your peace. They are not for your peace. They are from your joy. They are not for your joy. Here's what we don't want to see happen. And Paul talks about this in the book of Romans, uh, I think three, but we don't want gifts to become gods. Why? Gifts make terrible gods. They do. They will promise big and they will leave you wanting more. It always goes badly. And so Paul's point to Timothy in in teaching his church, he says the way that you work through this and unhinge this whole idea is through the discipline of generosity. The discipline of generosity is a way for us to say, you don't control me, you don't own me, I was bought with a price, I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, so money, you're not my God, you don't own me, you don't control me, you're not in charge of me, watch me give you away. Watch me write a check. Watch me, watch me um, give you away. You are not my God. I am owned by Christ. And so when it comes to our possessions, generosity is a great way to remind ourselves that man, you don't own me. I'm giving you away, possession. Right? I'm giving you away. You don't, you don't own me. And uh, it's a great way to remind us of who we belong to and who really owns us. And obviously that example only works when it comes to possessions, not people. I feel like I have to say that. All right, so, um, but this is, this is a good way to remind ourselves when it comes to possessions that uh, we are not owned by them and uh, they are not in charge of us. So, man, godliness is great gain. It is a great thing to build your life on. Being like Jesus is an incredible thing for you and for your life. He said, take hold of the life that is truly life. That's being like Jesus. Being like Jesus is an incredible thing for you. Someday it'll be an incredible thing for your kids to reflect on that mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, they were like Jesus. And it'll be an incredible thing for you to kind of think about that they're gonna see your legacy in that way. And it'll be a great thing as you stand before the Lord and he says, man, I wanna reward your character. I know it was hard. I know not giving into that business practice was difficult. I know living a life like me was difficult. Allow me to reward you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, may we be about character, internal character, that someday, Paul says, our time here is going to come to an end, and so I don't want to spend every second thinking about right now 
I want to spend some time thinking about someday. What is the legacy I want to leave my kids when it comes to character? What is the legacy I want to leave them? What is the legacy I want to leave behind? What, what are the gaps of my character right now that, that you want to address and, and that you see that maybe I don't see? Right now, as we get ready to receive communion, would you impress those things upon my soul and, and in my mind and do that for every person here that this is, this is where I want to do some work this coming year. Help us to see it. Help us to reflect on it. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.